0: good morning church family today's readings come from matthew chapter 5 verse 13 through 16. you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you here on a Saturday night, and good to be with you. Those who are joining us online want to say hello to you as well. But Go ahead and find your place in Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't already, we're going to dive into that great text in just a few minutes. Continue in our study through this New Testament gospel. But I want to, I feel like I just need to pause for a second and just say a couple things to you. Uh, One is, I probably have said this a thousand times since I've been here, but it is really good to be with you tonight. And if you don't know why I'm saying that, the last few weeks have been a little bit of a struggle for me and my family. We've gone through some health challenges. And uh, January 4th, we were diagnosed with COVID-19. And the next 12 days were pretty rough. Some of you can relate to that or have had some family members who have walked through that. Uh, But just to attribute God's grace and his favor to carry us through that. And I'm not saying this in any shallow way at all. I am grateful for the prayers of God's people. Uh, in particular, there were a couple of life groups when things, uh, the, the fever wouldn't break and the pain and the aches wouldn't go away, and a couple of life groups in particular just really took that on and began to pray for me and my family, and uh, God healed us, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for your prayers and your faithfulness. Uh, the other thing I want to say, you guys have just been incredible, even though I've kind of been out of the picture for the last few weeks because of sickness and so grateful for the team here and so grateful that we lead in plurality Uh, but you guys have just been great in recognizing our 10-year anniversary Uh, if you don't know a few weeks a few weekends ago we celebrated 10 years a decade at this church as one of your pastors an incredible privilege Really a miracle that you've put up with us for 10 years. That's remarkable. When the average tenure of the pastor in America is three years and we've been here 10, we'll take that. But you guys have just blessed my family with gifts and kindness and notes and emails and thank you. That has meant the world to us. It is a joy to be here and be a part of this church and be a part of this church family. So you guys have been tremendous. Thank you for your kindness to us. Well tonight we're going to again continue on in what's called the Sermon on the Mount as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew and we're going to come to a few verses. We're going to dig into these verses but always want to see them in light of the bigger picture of the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to walk through 13 through 16 and then we're going to end our time tonight. I just want to go ahead and tell you in in really a season of prayer together. We're going to pray for those around us that do not know the Lord Jesus we call it a go prayer service and we're going to do that together uh, in just a few minutes after we walk through Matthew 13 through 16 so we're going to have a really special season of prayer to conclude our time in just a few minutes so what's going on here in Matthew chapter 5 13 through 16 well let me try to set it up this way Uh, when I was a kid without question my favorite breakfast that my mother would cook was a breakfast of, and some of you can relate to this, country ham, red-eyed gravy, and grits. Can I get a witness from anybody in the room? That's a pretty good breakfast. I could literally remember those mornings when I would wake up and I could smell that ham, that country ham cooking. And I would come in the kitchen of it, I was so excited. My mom was making country ham and gravy and grits and she'd even top it off with some biscuits sometimes that was a good breakfast there was something about that country ham and the taste of that salt cured ham there's just nothing like it you guys can relate to that if you don't know what i'm talking about go to cracker barrel and order you some country ham now when i was a kid i didn't really know and to be honest i didn't really care but one of the keys to that country ham having its distinct flavor was the salt was salt cured ham again I didn't really know I didn't really care about how all that worked but salt had been rubbed into that ham and salt had permeated down into that ham and I don't even like ham but man country ham I loved it that salt provided a seasoning to that ham that it didn't have before I also learned later that that salt provided a preserving of that ham that salt that was in that ham kept it from rotting and kept it from decaying and before the days of refrigeration that's how salt or that's how meat was preserved you guys many of you guys know that it was cured with salt so there was this preserving factor that this salt did in this ham third thing that this salt did that I didn't even realize was going on man when I would eat country ham in the morning All day long, I couldn't get enough to drink, right? Can you relate to that? I mean, I just needed water all day long because this salt had created this thirst in me. Now, I say all that really just to kind of use an illustration that we can relate to. Jesus was a master teacher. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, as we look at the lessons and the teaching of Jesus, Jesus had the capacity... To communicate eternally significant realities but he would take simple common everyday things to communicate these significant eternal incredible reality so here in Matthew chapter 5 he's going to take two very simple very common things salt and light and he's going to communicate to his disciples then And his disciples today, watch this, he's going to answer a massive question that I hope you wrestle with in your life. It's this, Lord, what is my function, my purpose in this decaying, fallen world that you've left me in? Lord, Lord, what is my function and my purpose that you've left me in this fallen, dark, decaying world? Lord, why don't you just take us on home to be with you in glory? And Jesus is going to take some things as common as light and salt and teach some incredible realities about our function, our purpose in this fallen world that we live in. Here's your big truth that's going to kind of guide us through this message tonight. It's this. I'll go ahead and give it to you at the beginning, straight out of verse 13 through 16. It's this, God's redeemed people are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Jesus declares that to be true. You and me, the people of God, his redeemed people, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Now we're going to dig down into that and try to unpack that a little bit and then guide us into a season of prayer tonight. But anytime we're walking through these little sections that we've split up now in just th- three or four verses tonight, your teaching pastors don't ever want you to forget the bigger picture of Matthew. Matthew. So review time just a little bit. Don't forget that what we're we're reading, a few verses that are set in a bigger context of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is set in a bigger context of what we call the Gospel of Matthew. Don't forget Matthew's primary point of the Gospel of Matthew. It's this. He wants the world to know Jesus is the promised king. Don't forget that. Matthew writes from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28. He gives evidence after evidence after evidence from his genealogy, from his conception to his birth, to the divine forerunner John the Baptist, to Jesus temptation in the wilderness, proving he was sinless one, the tempted one. Matthew wants us to know something without a doubt. Jesus is the promised king the one who all the prophets foretold about, the one who all of history pointed to, Matthew, this transformed Jewish tax collector who had, in effect, given up on the kingdom until he met Jesus Christ and Jesus changed everything. He wants you to know Jesus is the promised king. Secondly, he wants you to know this. Jesus came to establish and proclaim a new kingdom. A new kingdom. Now, we were talking this week again, Daniel and Paul and are trying to wrestle with the reality that for many of us, this idea of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing, Gospel Matthew. We, we don't even quite have our hands around what all that means. The prayer is, as we walk through 28 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, layer after layer after layer, we're going to become more Aware of what the kingdom of God is and what all that means. Jesus came to establish and proclaim a new kingdom. He declared from the beginning, entrance into that kingdom is not based on your ethnicity. It's not based on your accomplishments. You will never earn your way into that kingdom. He declared the same message John the Baptist declared. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand entrance into the kingdom is a repentance a turning from self and a faith embracing the finished work of the king who died on a cross and rose from the dead that you and i could enter the kingdom and know him as our king thirdly matthew wants us to know and that's where we're going to settle in tonight with the sermon on the mount he wants us to see that his kingdom is made up of radically transformed people living countercultural and unnatural lives. Sermon on the Mount is written to the disciples of Jesus who have been transformed. And he's writing about kingdom life now, in this world now. Daniel walked us through the Beatitudes last week. The Beatitudes are this countercultural, unnatural life that we are enabled to live and continue to pursue, and by the way, continue to grow in progressively because we have been transformed by the Spirit of Jesus who lives in us. It is a counterculture. Listen, you have to understand this. Kingdom life that we live is countercultural. Because the world around you is not going to applaud your life most of the time. Nor are they going to affirm your life. Nor celebrate when you live by the standard and the word of the living God. As opposed to the darkness of the world. You're not going to be accepted or even understood by the world around. Jesus talks about that here. It's an unnatural life that he talks about here. Because it's not even what comes natural to me. I assure you. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness of another King Jesus rather than looking within myself is not natural. I want to look for the hope that's within me. I've got the answer. I've got the solution. I can be right with God my own way. I can do my own thing. Jesus says, no. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness not within themselves, outside of themselves. The righteousness of Jesus. That doesn't come natural to you. It does it come natural to me. Sermon on the Mount is about this unnatural, countercultural way of life lived out by kingdom citizens, you and I, who have been brought into the kingdom by faith in the King, King Jesus. So he answers this question, he says, what does that life look like? And he walks through the Beatitudes, we looked at that last week, the, the opposite of prideful self-righteousness, no, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The opposite of this indifference towards sin is this mourning and grieving over our sin that we've sinned against our Heavenly Father. The opposite of this rebellious, self willed, self determination, which you're hearing plenty about in the culture today, the opposite of that is no, is this meekness. We have yielded the control of our lives to another. That doesn't come natural, and that is very countercultural. That's the work of grace in you and me. As we live that way out in the world, and we pursue that life of Jesus in us out in the world, then Jesus begins to answer, okay, then what is our purpose in the fallen world? What will be the result of that in the fallen world? Lord, why am I here in this broken, dark, fallen world? And Jesus answers that beginning in verse 13 down through 16. So here's what we're going to do. Walk you through these verses. There's just a few. We'll make some application. And then we'll spend some time praying together tonight, all right? Lord, why are we left here? What is the influence and the impact of the life of a transformed disciple of the Lord Jesus now? In this kingdom of darkness that we live in now. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus says this. You are the salt of the earth. He says, you, plural, by the way, it's not singular, it's collective, the people of God, you are. And incidentally, he doesn't say, why don't you consider being? This is not an invitation from Jesus. This is a declaration of a reality. You, the redeemed, transformed people of God, are the salt of the earth. Now, I assure you, when a Jew heard the salt of the earth, he wasn't thinking about country ham. I assure you. Salt in that day was known to be essential to human life, however. Salt of that day was nowhere near as purified as what we have as our table salt. It was a little bit different, but the commentators, and it was known even in that day that the world could not endure without salt. Roman soldiers were paid with salt that's where the phrase by the way comes from that dude's not worth his salt meaning he didn't even earn his pay where does that come from it's the idea they were paid in salt the word salary comes from salt being paid in salt salt was an incredibly valuable commodity in that day in that day the, the metaphor that Jesus is using when his disciples would have heard that and when others would have heard that it would have gone through their minds salt it provides seasoning it's a flavor enhancer think that was part of what Jesus meant we had flavor we had the flavor of truth we had the flavor of wisdom we had the flavor of God's presence we had a flavor to the world that would be found nowhere else because of the spirit of God living within us I think that was part of what Jesus means they would have thought of salt as a a thirst creator You, you guys know that Eat something really salty in the morning. You're gonna be thirsty all day. I think it was part of what Jesus meant: is we come into contact with the world around us, the life of Christ in us will be as salt and will create a thirst. Thirst creator. Salt also was used in that day to provide healing. You had a wound. One of the things you do is you rub some salt on that wound. But watch this: it would sting. It'd sting there's also a piece of this where Jesus is very clear as we come in contact with the world around us that sees us as countercultural, sees us as unnatural sometimes we're going to sting sometimes we're going to sting I think the primary meaning of Jesus's metaphor was one we talked about a little bit earlier in that day salt was used to preserve salt was used to preserve the natural decay or rotting of anything the salt came in contact with me? other things. Jesus is saying look the preserving influence restraining the sin of this decaying broken world is the people of God as you come in contact and as you're scattered in the earth It is you who are that preserving influence in the world. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be understood. Sometimes you're going to sting. To some people, you're going to be seasoning. To some, you're going to be the smell of death, Paul said in 2 Corinthians. You're the salt of the earth. By the way, there is no other. This is not salt plan A and plan B. You're it. You are the salt. The earth. Jesus continues, he says, But if the salt has lost its taste, how will it be made salty? Or how will its saltiness be restored? What happens when salt loses its saltiness? We'll talk about that in just a minute. He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet by men or trampled under people's feet. What does that mean? We'll talk about that in just a second. In verse 14, Jesus gives a second metaphor. So we're salt, that's more of a subtle influence, if you will, kind of works from the inside out of substance. It's a little more in in the backstage, a little more behind the scenes, if you will. And then he says, at the same time, you're the light of the world. You, collective, are the light of the world second metaphor is more public it's more outward it's more seen it's more on display light must be seen light is visible light cannot be hidden I remember one time and I actually think it was a men's retreat from this church if I'm not mistaken but several several years ago we were at Doe River Gorge and we went on a cave tour and they took us down in this cave up there at Doe River I don't know a group of 20 or 30 men something like that and they got us Probably half a mile back in that cave, and you know the trick, right? Everybody turned their lights off, and it was as dark as I've ever experienced in my life. Complete, utter darkness. Now, I didn't have my own light. The only guy that had a light was the tour guide. He kind of planned it that way, I think, so I didn't, I didn't have one. I had no source of light back in this cave where it was utter, utter Darkness. And he left this light off. It seemed like an hour. It was probably 10 seconds. But after a little while, it starts to mess with your mind because here's what's going through your mind. If somebody doesn't provide me a light, I'll never get out of this cave. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. It was total, complete darkness. There was no source of natural light in that cave at all. Now that illustration is to help you with what Jesus is saying by saying we are the light of the world he's also assuming that you understand the world is a completely dark place there is no other source of light of truth you're it. And in that cave I could remember distinctly thinking if someone doesn't provide me with light if someone doesn't shine a light I'll never find my way out of here. I'm completely hopeless to find my way out. And then as an illustration, the guide who had taken us back in there, he didn't light up a big flashlight. All he did is he took out a little match out of his pocket, struck that little match. And man, our eyes had adjusted so much. When he struck that match, just a little match, boom, it lit up the entire cavern. Light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot withstand light and there we were this incredible picture of being in this utter place of absolute darkness helpless if someone did not provide the light, Jesus is saying that is the condition of the lost world, there is no other source of light of revelation of the light of truth it has been entrusted to you to me people of God he says a city set on a hill cannot be Hidden, that makes sense. He says, verse 15, and it's really, this is an absurd statement. If you heard Jesus say this to the day, you'd go, of course you wouldn't do this. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Of course that's what you do with light. In that day, the houses, of course, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have light like we could. Yeah, they didn't go in and flip a light switch. All they had were these small little candle-type objects, and you would light that candle and then take it and set it up on a stand in a room, and it would light that entire room. It was the only light there. There was no natural, there was was no street light shining in, I assure you. That was the source of light. Why in the world would you take that light and hide it? Why would you cover that light up? No, you put it on a lampstand, and it gave light to all who were in the house Jesus said he kind of gives a concluding statement in verse 16 he says it this way he says in the same way I mean you just have to marvel at the teaching of Jesus here the simplicity but yet the profundity of what he says salt and light but in the same way you me let your light shine before others so that they may see light makes vision possible without light you can't see reality you're in darkness light makes vision possible so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light. You're light. I'm light. You're salt. I'm salt. When the Bible uses the metaphor of light, there's a lot of different ways the Bible uses the word light. I can't chase all of them, I'll just chase a few for you. But if you're in that day and you knew your Bible and you're hearing this teaching from Jesus, a lot of this is going through your mind of what you know the Bible says light to be. One is that light seems to indicate wisdom and direction versus confusion and foolishness. Light provides this wisdom from God about the way the world operates that is only from the mouth of God, only through the people of God versus the confusion and foolishness man of our world today. The idea that I bring a wisdom from the mouth of God about the way the world operates about why God does the things he does I bring that wisdom to the table from the mouth of God the revelation of God and the world sees it as foolishness That's one idea of light John 8 12 I'll just read this to you it's not gonna be on the screen Jesus said and Jesus spoke to them saying I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life Jesus said sometimes in the Bible light is used to refer to Biblical revelation, the light that comes from the mouth of God. It's referring to biblical revelation versus mere human understanding. The world believes they have a light of their own human understanding. Jesus says, no, you have the light. I have entrusted you with the word from my mouth. You have that light. Psalm 109, or Psalm 119, verses 105, you've heard this. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 43:3 says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. 2 Corinthians 4:4 takes it even a step further and talks about the revelation, particularly the message of the gospel as light. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That light is the idea of wisdom of God. That light is the idea of the truth of the revelation of God that has been entrusted to you and me in his word. And thirdly, sometimes the idea of light in the Bible simply means... In all its glory, God's perfect nature, who God is. 1st John chapter 1, we looked at this a couple years ago when we walked through John. I won't take time to spend a lot of time in it, but First John 1.5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him, and we announce to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. You try to put all these things together and you realize that Jesus is declaring to his disciples then and declaring to us, listen, you have the wisdom from God that the world longs to have. You have the divine truth from God that separates confusion from reality, that brings light, that brings truth, that brings an understanding of who I am. You have that. You've been entrusted with that. And as you share this truth, as you live this light, it is a reflection of God's true nature. That through the revelation of God, through his word, as we lead people to truth, they will see God for who he is as he's revealed himself to be. God's true nature. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now remember, brothers and sisters, your light, my light, it's a reflected light. It's not a light that's in me and it's just trying to flicker. God just kind of fends it in flight. The light that is in me is a reflected light of the Lord Jesus Christ living his life through me. It's not of me. It's of him. It's the light of the glory of God. The big truth, just as a reminder, God's redeemed people are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. We bring a purifying to the world, a restraint of evil. We bring a seasoning to the world. We bring the light of the message of the gospel. We bring the light of the glory of God. We bring the light of wisdom, as the Bible declares it to be. And what I want to do in just a few minutes that we have remaining before we go into a season of prayer, all right, Pastor Mike, I get all that. Help me get some application to all of it. What do I do with all this? I'm going to give you just a few big ideas quickly, and then we're going to move into a season of prayer. And I'm going to try to go through these relatively quick. There's some truths that come out of this, It's application. That's why we call them big ideas. The big truth is very clear. Your salt, your light. Here's some big ideas, some application that comes out of it. Number one is this. God's people exert gospel influence on the world as we are engaged in the world. One of the takeaways as I was reading this and even study about salt, study about light, there's an implication here that Jesus is very clear that Jesus is challenging any notion to our temptation to bunker Christianity, to isolation or withdrawal from the world. In other words, salt only has effect on that to which it comes in contact with. Salt you leave in the cellar has no effect on anything or anybody. Light is to be visible, it is to shine in the darkness, it is to be on display. so, So when we read this, brothers and sisters, I pray there's a challenge in your and mine heart to read. Okay, if I'm salt, where am I coming in contact with lostness? If I'm light... Where am I shining the light of the gospel, the light of the truth of God's word, the light of who God is? Where am I routinely and regularly sharing that? Or even this, where are those places that I have been placed That I go and I go through my job and I worry about the paycheck and I've got all these different things. Way down here somewhere in my priorities is, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be salt and light. Maybe I'll get to that tomorrow. No, Jesus, all the way back in Matthew chapter 4, he changes our identity. You are fishers of men. Before you are an accountant, before you are a teacher, before you are a businessman, you are salt and you are light. Wherever God places us. The implication is we have to engage and we have to be in contact. Where is that place that you and I as a church, listen, it's a challenge. Where are we engaging, Lawson? let to be honest, some of you may be in your home. It isn't mine. I'll be honest, I have two little girls. They, they don't know Jesus yet. That, that's the first place of ministry. There's a pastor who's kind of surrounded by believers a lot of the time. It's a challenge. So where are those intentional places that you and I either place ourselves so that we can engage lostness, or where are those places that we already are and we recognize, wait a minute, I'm here to be salt. I'm here to be light. One of the things we're doing as a church, and you'll hear more about this, is. We're trying to help with that. We're trying to mobilize our people and help us to engage where lost people are more. We're doing something now with our life groups called Serve and Share. You'll hear more and more about that. But in your life groups, we're trying to create platforms and opportunities for you as a life group to go and serve in our community. And while serving and letting your light shine, we are intentionally looking for opportunities to share the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus trying to do that together you hear more and more about that if you hadn't heard anything about it from your life group God ask him hey what about service here where can we go serve and where can we go make Jesus known we need those opportunities because it's very easy for us to recoil in the bunker of Christianity right where are we engaging lostness second takeaway here is Jesus tells us another reality is this there's there's a danger with salt Verse 13, he he tells us this, and I want to talk about this for just a second. He says, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but the salt can lose its taste. How can its saltiness be restored? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet of men or under people's feet. What's he saying? Pure salt can never lose its saltiness. But in that day, the salt that was mined, and it was mined around places like the Dead Sea, and some of you guys have been there. Go to Israel with us this fall, and you could go to the Dead Sea. But they would mine these salts out of the Dead Sea, and what would happen is they would get mixed with some of these other minerals like gypsum, and what would come out would be this Salt that would have a, it would lose its distinctive saltiness. It would become mixed with these other minerals around it and it would lose its distinctiveness. And Jesus seems to be playing on that analogy, on that metaphor to say, hey, listen, salt that is not salty is not salt at all. In other words, you can't salt salt In other words, the picture is a challenge for you and I, and it's this tension of, yes, we are salt and light as, watch this tension, as we engage in the world and at the same time maintain a God-centered distinctness from the world. He says, salt that loses its saltiness, salt that becomes so intermingled with other minerals, it's good for nothing. It doesn't season anything. It doesn't preserve anything. It doesn't sting. The only thing they did with it in that day is they would take it. They would literally throw it along the footpaths of Israel, and people would walk alongside it. They they would walk on it. That's the only thing you could do with it. Jesus is not saying here that a Christian can ever lose his salvation, but he is saying a Christian can lose his gospel influence because of sin and compromise and being discipled more by the world and conformity to the world and our thinking is more in line with the world than the reality of the truth of the Word of God and our minds are not being conformed to the Word of God but we're being conformed and fit into the box of the world and sometimes we don't even realize it maybe one of the eye-opening realities for us as we read through the gospel of Matthew and Matthew 15 is this When is the last time I stung someone or I was distinct or I was different? Is there any distinctness about my life from those around me? Because Jesus says salt will both be distinct and it will come in contact with the world around it. And that's our gospel influence in the world where he's left us. Second big idea is taken from that is simply this God's people exert gospel influence in the world because we are distinct from the world. We can lose our saltiness. Sin in our life can cause us to lose our saltiness. A lack of hunger for God's word can cause us to be more conformed to the things of the world than transformed by the renewing, renewing, renewing of our mind, where there's a distinctness of our attitudes and a distinctness of our worldview, and there's a distinctness of our life that we live out from how we spend our money to how we raise our kids to how we see life. It becomes a seasoning flavor, and it becomes a preservative of the evil around us, and it creates a hunger. The people around their lives. Thirdly, continuing on very quickly. There is a risk to all of this, and I'll just do this quick. The risk is this. You don't really understand what Jesus is saying here in chapter 5, 13 through 16 without reading verses 10 through 12. Now, Daniel went through this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but there is a risk. There is a risk for you and I as we live this salty life, as we live this light of the world life. And here it is, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Rejoice! 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 If there is enough distinctiveness about your life that someone utters a word against you, if there is something unique about your life and not because you're weird or peculiar just to be weird or peculiar but there is a gospel distinctiveness there is the light of Jesus within you that doesn't beat to the drumbeat of the world and someone speaks a word and someone reviles and there's a clear distinction Jesus says rejoice rejoice and be glad Because you follow a long line of men and women who have been distinct from the world. And they've also been engaged in the world. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Big idea number three is this. God's people exerting gospel influence in the world will be persecuted. There will be persecution. Rejoice. Rejoice. Final point is this. Verse 16. What's the goal in all of this? And we're going to close with this. And Jesus makes it very clear. So what is the goal in the fact that we are salt and that we are light? What is the ultimate hope that we, ha- we pray and trust happens as we pursue gospel influence and a distinctiveness and a light in the world around us? Verse 16, Jesus makes it clear. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others in such a way. That they may see. Your life makes vision possible. And what do they see? They see our good works. They see the difference in our life. They see our gospel message. They hear the message of truth. There's a difference. And what is the outcome? They applaud us for how godly we are. No, that's Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. That's never our goal. Jesus says this, your goal is this. Big idea number four and the final one. God's people pursue gospel influence in the world because our heavenly father is worthy to be known and glorified. See, you and I share the light of the message of the gospel and our lives are distinct in the world and the team's going to come on up and begin to play. But it's going to lead us into a season of prayer tonight. Listen, I I hope this grips your heart. This verse always grips my heart. What's different from you and I as the people of God, let's just be honest, from the United Way who's trying to do good deeds, here's what's vastly different. Number one, we have a different message. We have a message of life. We have the message of light that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, is we have a completely different motive. Our goal. Listen, our goal is not even that the world becomes a better place. It might, but we know ultimately it's all going to be destroyed. It's getting worse. We know that. Here's our ultimate goal. That through our life, through our saltiness, through our light, through our lives, through our verbal witness of the gospel where we are planted as salt and light, men and women would come to see and know and hear and glorify. What's this. Your purpose in life that people would glorify our Father who is in it. That through my life, through my words, through my witness, God is receiving glory and honor and people are knowing our heavenly Father. That is the ultimate motive that he is being glorified. Here's what we're gonna do together for the next few minutes. This is not going to be just a typical response time if you will I'm inviting you into a season of prayer and however you want to posture yourself there you're welcome to pray in groups you're welcome to pray on your own whatever that is but man when we hear a message like this I want us to respond to the Lord in prayer And what i'm going to do is i'm going to hit three different topics that i'm going to just give you a few minutes right there in your seat again maybe with your family maybe on your own however you want to do it doesn't matter i'm going to give you three different topics and i want you to take a few minutes and i want you to begin to pray about these things and take a few minutes and cry out to the lord about these things and trust that we leave changed because of the word of god tonight and then the last one i'm just going to tell you in a few minutes i'm going to ask you to pull out that little card that's in the seat pocket in front of you and Just as a means of application, who are your three names? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But here's topic number one. I want you to take just a minute and I want you to pray about this. I want you to pray about this idea of gospel distinctiveness. In other words, is your life salty? Is your life noticeably countercultural to those around you? Is your life even unnatural often to you? It's not what comes natural, it's what comes supernaturally by the Spirit of God within me. Is your life distinct because of Jesus in you from those around you? Or is there compromise? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there passivity that's caused you to just lose a hunger for the Word of God and you have, Romans 12, become conformed to the world rather than this transforming of the renewing of your mind? Just bow your head, spirit of prayer. Talk to the Lord for a second about that. Is your life salty? Is your light distinct from the darkness around you? That light of Jesus in you. With your head bowed there, continue in a spirit of prayer. I want, you to, I want you to wrestle with the Lord about gospel engagement. Salt only has effect on that with which it comes in contact. Light is to be visible, it is to be seen. We don't hide it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in. come in contact with lostness or where is there lostness around you that you've not been the light or you've not been the salt that may be even in your own home parents one of our responsibilities is to make sure our children hear and know the gospel and the message of truth and are taught the word of God in our homes they're to see that light there first beyond your home where is there intentionality in our lives to come in contact with lostness where might God be calling you maybe a darker place a place that seems really really dark remember in Matthew chapter 4 Jesus went to the darkest place in the land Galilee light had dawned to a people who were dwelling in darkness. Maybe God's calling you to a dark place. Just wrestle with God there a few minutes. Is some of these questions you're wrestling with you will wrestle with these with your life group even this week and ask these questions of one another are we distinct? where are we engaging? maybe even in your life group you'll discuss opportunities in serve and share where you can go out in our community we're trying to provide opportunities where you do that together serve share and be the light, be the salt Third thing i want you to do tonight is we provided a little resource and if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time this is nothing new but something that's just become a part of our dna who's your three names try to renew this every semester who are the names of three people in your life that do not know jesus and god has placed you in their life to be salt and light And that you are going to intend to share the message of the gospel with them. If you will, you can just look up. There's a little card in the seat pocket in front of you. This is for you. I encourage you to pick one of these up if you don't already have one. But just like this, two little sides of the card. It's going to say go moments on it. There's three little blanks on there. Just grab one of those. Take it with you. I encourage you just prayerfully as an exercise right now before the Lord. May have the same three names you've had last semester. I don't know, or there may be three new names, or you may not have a single name. One of the testimonies of a man in our church one time is when we began to do this several years, he left church with this completely blank and was deeply convicted that he didn't know a single lost person. Maybe that's you. Take this little card, take a second or two there in your seat three people that you're burdened for and you purpose to share the gospel with this semester over the next few months you're going to take this and you're going to share this with your life group pray with one another pray with one another for opportunities to share the gospel keep each other accountable take just a second use this little card as a tool Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters and I pray with my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. Father, I have a deep burden that you would continue to radically transform us through the gospel of Matthew. God, I pray that we would be confronted with the reality, Lord, that this kingdom life you called us to is countercultural, Lord. It's not going to be welcomed and accepted by everyone. Lord, it's not even natural to me. Denying self, poverty of spirit, meekness. Lord, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, not in me, but you. And this purity of heart and this mercy and things that you're calling us and enabling to, they're not natural to me, Lord. I pray that you would continue to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. God, I pray that there's a distinctiveness to our lives. I pray that there's an engagement in the world to our lives. Lord, woe is us if we become bunker Christians, isolated Christians who do our thing. And forget that you have said, you are salt. You are the light of the world. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that we will let our light shine in such a way. Men and women around us will see our good works. And in the end, they will give glory to our Father. In heaven, who is worth it? Lord, I pray there are conversations in life groups that build on this. And Lord we, Lord, we spur one another on and we keep one another accountable. And Lord, we ask all this for the glorious name of Jesus. It's his great name we pray together. And all God's people said, amen.